SummerSlam 2018 is in the books. This is Chris Miles with the Underground Fightcast. I'm going to go through real quick what the results were, how the fallout goes with the match, what to look forward to, what I liked about the show, what I didn't like about the show. Uh, this is something new that we're doing. Anthony is at home with his uh, new baby Madison, so I will be doing the uh, fallout by myself. So I'm not going to have that banter with Anthony, but uh, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if we do, uh, then I will, you know, continue this as I as as we go along. Um, also, the quality is not as good as it usually is because I'm doing this from my house, like I said. So I'm doing it on my laptop with a with a uh, blue microphone as opposed to you know our normal studio setup. So let's go through the uh, pre-show real quick. Um, the first match of the pre-show was the mixed tag team match. Andrade, Cien Almas, and Zelina Vega beating Rusev and Lana. Uh, very short match. Ended with a roll-up. Not much to go home on. It was a seven-minute match, give or take a couple minutes. Um, you know, nothing really special. I'm, uh, it's, it's amazing to me that Andrade, Cien Almas can go from main eventing NXT takeovers to being an opener in front of a couple hundred people who, uh, you know, happened to get there very early for SummerSlam. A good example, last year I went for my bachelor party to SummerSlam with a bunch of a bunch of friends, and we got there at around 6 o'clock, which we thought would be okay for the pre-show. And we had already missed the Hardy Boys uh, against the Miz and the, and the Miz Taraj, I forget who they were teaming with, but uh, it might have been Apollo Crews. But... The point stands that this mat these matches go on way too early, uh, especially for the bigger events like SummerSlam, WrestleMania. The, the crowd isn't even there yet, and you're already putting the guy who's main evented some. He was your former NXT Heavyweight Champion against a guy like Rusev, who last month was facing AJ Styles for the WWE Championship. So, you know, I I don't really understand the logic behind it, but Andrade Cien Almas defeating Rusev and Lana look. Uh, Almas and Vega need the push. They need the win. I just want to see them in bigger roles. I don't want to see them on pre-shows and stuff like that. Uh, for this, I gave it about one and a half stars. Nothing really crazy. Uh, nothing that you missed. If you know, it, there was nothing special about this match. The only thing to know was that Vega rolled up Lana. They had a little botch at the end where Vega was trying to get her feet on the rope and she missed it. She only got her foot up by like the time the referee had already counted three. So they tried to show it that she stole the win, but at the end of the day, she really just had a regular roll up on her. So. Almas and Vega needed the win. Um, you know, the only person in this match that really stood out was Lana, and and Vega is is so much better in the ring than Lana is that Vega did her best to try and carry Lana through the match. Again, only seven minutes, so there wasn't much time for the women to wrestle anyway. But uh, you know, Vega shined a little bit. Almas and Rusev did their thing, but again, it was you know it was it was a filler match. It was filler. Next up, singles match for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, one of the stipulations here was that Jack Gallagher and Brian Kendrick were banned from ringside. Cedric Alexander defending and retaining his championship against Drew Gulak. Uh, I gave this one three stars out of five. I really liked this match. I thought it was good. Uh, it told a good story after about five minutes uh, in the match. The, the last five, it was a ten-minute match. The last five minutes were were. High flying, really exciting back and forth. Uh, Drew Gulak has has done a very good job at uh, you know his role as from the PowerPoint guy with Enzo Amore to now he's this politician gimmick. And Cedric Alexander, one of the most talented guys on the roster, and for him to retain the cruiserweight championship at a big stage again, he he won it at WrestleMania. Now he's going into uh, SummerSlam retaining the championship. These guys need more airtime. 
205 Live is, is criminally underrated ever since Triple H took over. And I look at Cedric Alexander and I look at Drew Gulak and I look at how they you know, represented the brand overall because it was, this was the only representation that 205 Live had at the entire show and they just tore it up. They did an absolutely great job. Uh, my point here is if you're not going to, if you're not going to treat 205 Live with the amount of respect, I guess, that it deserves on the main roster, then why don't you just mix it in with the NXT TakeOver shows? Uh, sorry, my dog's running around, I'm sure. A ton of stuff got knocked over just now. But, um, you know, why don't you just mix it in with the NXT TakeOvers? I mean, you could probably do one or two 205 Live matches in with the four or five NXT TakeOvers, and before you know it, you have, you know, a nice loaded card where you can focus intently on 205 Live, on NXT. Um, I think 205 Live is really going to thrive once the Fox Sports uh, deal goes through. I think 205 Live will become a weekly show on Fox Sports, and it'll get the proper time it deserves. Maybe they push NXT to live an hour a week. You do 205 Live the first hour, you do NXT the second hour. That might work out well. Regardless, though, 205 Live needs to have a main card presence. It can't just be pre-shows and stuff like that. If people are going to take it legitimately, you have to go with the main card. I would love to see Cedric Alexander against Hideo Itami at the next pay-per-view of Hell in a Cell on the main card. I think that would be an interesting match to go with. Uh, the last match on our pre-show was the B-team of Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas defeating the Revival, Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder for the Raw Tag Team Championships. The B-team obviously retaining their belts. I had predicted the B-team, so did Anthony, because we, uh, you know, the Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas have been riding this gimmick now where they're winning by luck. And the B-team has a chant. They got a new theme song. I mean, they're really putting a lot in, of investment into the B-team. So for them to hold the titles for just a little bit longer makes a little bit of sense. That being said, the Revival, man. Like, that's a team that needs... If there's a team that needs to have a championship, it's the Revival. And they were such a hit in NXT. And they've just been criminally misused since they've come up. So, uh, right there, actually, with the Authors of Pain. I wouldn't mind seeing the Revival against Authors of Pain. Uh, you don't need to do a title rivalry. You can do a tag team match, uh, tag team rivalry, where these guys just, you know, do their thing. And, and uh, you know, don't do not do these things on Raw where they always do, where it's like, oh, Razor is going to fight Dash Wilder. And the next week, it's Dawson against Akam. And then, you know... it. Save it all. Save it all for a pay-per-view. Mix it in. Let the Authors of Pain get some momentum. Let uh, the Revival get some momentum. Let them interact on Raw a little bit. And then by the time they head into a pay-per-view, they're both on some winning streaks. It's an intense match where, you know, they don't do that anymore. They like to give away some stuff on for free on television and then repeat it at pay-per-views. I don't understand the logic behind it. It never worked in the past. It doesn't work now. So I really don't understand why they do it. So that was the pre-show. Uh, again, the revival. I feel really bad for these guys. They deserve a tag team title match. The way that this match ended was uh, Bo Dallas, I believe, had a... No, I'm sorry. Curtis Axel was in a roll-up with Scott Dawson. And Bo Dallas was pushed into them. And it tipped over the, the pinfall. So then Curtis Axel had the pinfall on Scott Dawson. And the title changed hands. So there wasn't much legitimacy around the win, but it was more of luck, which has been the storyline. So while I understand the storyline, I still don't really agree with the outcome. I'm going to go ahead and give this one uh, one and a half stars. Uh, it was rushed. It wasn't that uh, it, you blink and you miss it. There was nothing really to it. Um, 
Again, it only went about six minutes. So, you know, I would like to see a little more out of these guys next time that they go into, uh, you know, a pay-per-view match, especially the B team. I mean, you know, if you're going to ride them like this with that gimmick, at least give them some wins, you know, some legitimate wins. But I guess the storyline is luck, luck, luck. So let's see where this goes from there. Definitely the Revival should be getting another tag team title uh, shot. We'll see if they do. Uh, then we go on to the main card. So the opening match for the night was the singles match for the Intercontinental Championship. Seth Rollins with Dean Ambrose in his corner, defeating Dolph Ziggler with Drew McIntyre in his corner. 22-minute match for the Intercontinental Championship. I really, really liked this match. I gave it three and a half, three and a quarter stars maybe even. Um, I don't think it's a match that you'll go back and you'll watch a ton of times. But I did think that there were some memorable moments in it, especially the moment where Rollins hit the... Uh, the inverted superplex into the inverted suplex, I thought like, holy shit, man, like the amount of trust that you need to have in your partner in the ring to to pull off that move. And then, I mean, it's just insane. I mean, big props to Dolph Ziggler for even going through with that. Uh, so much could go wrong in that situation. It just proves why Rollins is one of the best in the business. Uh, he's been on the hottest streak of his career in WWE lately, uh, all, going all the way back to the beginning of the year. The Intercontinental Championship feels like something now, and that's because of Ziggler, that's because of Rollins, that's because of Miz, it's because of these mid-card guys really stepping up, making the title feel like something. And Rollins, now the two-time champ, there was a lot of talk about whether or not Dean Ambrose would turn his back on Seth Rollins during this match. Uh, people were expecting it even at the end of the match. A little too soon for that. Uh, Dean Ambrose just came back last week. There's no real reason yet for Ambrose to turn on Rollins. I say give it about a month or so, maybe two months, before Ambrose does turn his back. Who knows? WWE now could be tomorrow night on Raw. But I'm just saying that Rollins and Ambrose need to stay on the same page for a little while longer to make the heel turn more effective. You don't want to blow your load on the first uh, match back, you know? So... Props to Ambrose, props to Rollins. I think Ambrose and Rollins against Ziggler and McIntyre would be a cool match. Uh, maybe they keep that program going where the tag team match comes into play. And then maybe after that, uh, Ambrose and Rollins start to show a little bit of tension and, and frustration with each other until eventually we may get our first heel turn by Dean Ambrose since the Shield days where Ambrose can finally be the lunatic as the heel, which would be entertaining as we all know it would be. Um, again, though, three and a quarter stars, I'll go with that match. I really liked it. I thought it was very, very good. Um, very good way to kick off the show. And I thought the show overall was pretty good. I didn't really have any real serious issues with it. There are two issues, big issues that I have now that the show is concluded, but we'll get to those in a little bit. Um, the next match after the Intercontinental Championship match was for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The New Day against the Bludgeon Brothers, Harper and Rowan, who were the champions. They retained the belts, uh, belts by, but by disqualification. Because the New Day, Big E and Xavier Woods, uh, defeated them via disqualification. The match went about a little under 10 minutes. And uh, that's a proper amount of time for these guys. I, I like that they gave them time. It wasn't a five or six minute match. They actually gave them a full 10 minutes to kind of go out there, tell a story, do what they wanted to do. And uh, it was pretty slow and plodding throughout the first five minutes, but maybe even seven minutes. But those last uh, three to five minutes were, were action-packed. Uh, great spot by Woods doing an elbow drop outside the ring onto Harper. And they bring Harper in the ring, and they're getting ready to finish the match, and then uh, Rowan comes in and smacks them with the mallet, and that causes the disqualification. So while the New Day did win, the Perlegian brothers did win by disqualification, therefore retaining their belts 
It won't be the last time you see the rivalry happen. That seems to be the common thread for a lot of these matches, whereas SummerSlam used to be kind of the blow-off of the summer feuds. Now it seems to be the start or maybe even the continuation of feuds. At least this pay-per-view felt like that. Um, so after that, we retreated to the singles match for the, for the Money in the Bank contract. Had Strowman been disqualified or counted out, he would have lost his contract, but he had no reason to worry about that at all because Braun Strowman just absolutely squashed Kevin Owens in a minute and 50 seconds, just under two minutes. Kevin Owens got one offensive move in. Braun just absolutely dominated this performance. And I thought, I was saying to my buddy who was over with me, I said, you know what, I actually like this because when Strowman cashes in, It'll make it seem like he's an unstoppable monster, that he's the guy who can take down the beast, uh, the monster beating the beast, that whole kind of thing, or the monster ripping the big dog. I thought like that would be the gimmick that they would go with, um, but we'll get to that later in the show. Obviously, did not go that way. So at the time, I thought, hey, that's a really good match. Now, in retrospect, I'm thinking, all right, maybe you could have done it a little bit differently. Uh, but either way, Braun was going to win. I don't agree with squashing Kevin Owens to do it, but they told that story and they did it. Next up was the triple threat match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. Charlotte Flair defeating the champion Carmella and Becky Lynch to become a seven-time women's champion. Now, first of all, first things first, Charlotte has been wrestling for about four years now, maybe three, maybe even three years. She's already a seven-time champion. I mean, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the uh, the meaning of this many-time champion, that kind of significance has is slowly starting to go away. It really doesn't mean much anymore when you when you're when you're holding your titles for a grand tour of you know a month, two months. I mean, Sasha Banks is already a five-time champion, I think, and I think she's had a grand total of maybe six or seven weeks as champ. Um, you know, really not much uh, weight in that. What was told here was the whole story of Becky and Charlotte throughout the entire match. It felt like it was Becky versus Charlotte with Carmella just kind of, you know, getting her moves in and getting her moments during the match. Uh, but Carmella is nowhere near Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. I mean, she is light years below these people. And, uh, you know, Carmella finally gets the belt taken off of her, which is, uh, a, you know, Let's let's face it, Carmella is not good in the ring. I don't know if there are a lot of Carmella fans out there, but I think it's fair to say that she's not even close to the caliber of a lot of the good and talented women in this division. So it's finally good that, and I think Charlotte said it well last week on SmackDown, you're a diva holding the women's championship. And I think a lot of people feel that way, where it's like, you might have the good character, you might have the good mic skills, which she definitely has. Carmella definitely has the mic skills. She's definitely got the character, but she doesn't have the talent. So I'm glad to hear that Charlotte called her out on it. I'm glad to see they took the title off of her. Doesn't mean that Carmella has to disappear. Doesn't mean that she becomes uh, she has to become irrelevant. But it's good that they're focusing on what the outcome of this match was with Charlotte Flair. Becky Lynch just coming up short. The finish was fantastic. Uh, Charlotte had the... Um, I'm sorry, uh, Becky Lynch had Carmella in the arm, in the arm bar, the uh, disarmor, and Charlotte Flair came up from behind with the natural selection, banked it one, two, three on, uh, on Becky, and Carmella loses the championship. Becky and, Car and Charlotte have this, you know, hug at the end, and I'm thinking, okay, 
Becky Lynch's entire WWE career has been, even in NXT, was the naive babyface who, uh, you know, always fell for the cliches and the clumsiness. She trusts too easily, that whole kind of thing. And then here she goes with a heel turn on Charlotte at the end. Um, I think, the, obviously, the crowd loved it. I loved it. I think a lot of the general audience will love a heel Becky Lynch. Now that sets up a great title match at Evolution, uh, undoubtedly, which will be Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. It would be an amazing match to have um, on top of other matches, which include Alexa Bliss versus Trish Stratus. Now that uh, we'll get to Alexa's match in a little bit. Ronda's going to be there. We're going to have um, you know some really good matches at that show. And I think this might be one of those headliner matches. Uh, I gave this one about three stars at the time. I, I'm going to give it three and a half. I really like this match. I think you're going to have to go back to this match if you want to see the catalyst for what should be a great feud between Charlotte and Becky. They planted seeds throughout the entire match. So I'm going to go three and a half stars for this one. Really enjoyed it. The next match was the singles match for the WWE Championship. Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. Uh, Samoa Joe. I thought he would win. And he did win. But it was by disqualification. So AJ Styles retains his championship again. You saw that happen before with the New Day. Uh, and Eric uh, Rowan and, and Harper. Because now Styles gets to keep the championship. But Samoa Joe... Uh, won the match. So the feud will continue, undoubtedly. Uh, the story was very good. It went about 22 minutes, so it was a, it was an action-packed title match. I gave it about three and three-quarter stars, so 3.75 out of five. Really enjoyed the match. Really enjoyed the pacing. The last 10 minutes or so were very action-packed, uh, very close, a lot of close calls, a lot of great athleticism, nothing less to expect from these two guys. But I have a feeling that this is leading toward a Hell in a Cell match, and not only that, but I have a feeling that this feud is far from escalated and far from the best match. I think this might be the beginning of what will be a great series of matches between these guys. Uh, but again, we thought the same thing about Nakamura and Styles, which, you know, as good as they were in Japan together in the Wrestle Kingdom series, uh, you know, they never quite matched it in WWE. So I'm hoping, I'm praying that Samoa Joe and AJ Styles is a little better uh, it gets better as it goes. The storyline should definitely get better because uh, Joe bringing in Styles' family. Styles' family was in the crowd during the whole match. So, um, you know, outside of of uh, a slow beginning, which, you know, you need to do, uh, the match was just nonstop action throughout. Um, but I really enjoyed the finish. AJ snapping and, and a bloody AJ Styles snapping, beating Samoa Joe down with a chair. Uh, because he humiliated his family in front of AJ Styles. Styles just lost it. So I'm really I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, now, for me, the match of the night was the next match. It was the singles match. The Miz defeating Daniel Bryan. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. It was the longest match of the night. 23, and 30, uh, 23 minutes, 30 seconds. Just under 25 minutes of eight years in the making. This is not the last that you're going to see this match. Obviously, it was set up where The Miz won the match by hitting Daniel Bryan with brass knucks given to him by Maurice. So I think one really cool way you could go about it is maybe doing The Miz and Maurice against Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. That's a, that's a way to keep The Miz and Daniel Bryan active together without them uh, having to continue a singles feud. Because I think if you draw that out, you might even be able to get to WrestleMania with that match. Uh, and that would be an incredible, incredible match. These two... 
they have a story to tell and they told it and it was a great I give it four out of five stars I really really love this match the Miz was great Daniel Bryan was great everyone played their role perfectly there were a lot of close calls a lot of close finishes it looked like the Miz was finished a few times it looked like Daniel Bryan was finished a few times so overall the match was fantastic um, the Miz winning I really like that too I don't think Daniel Bryan should have won um, and I'm sure Anthony's going to be happy that The Miz beat Daniel Bryan. But I was really happy with how uh, this match went. And again, four out of five stars, match of the night for me. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the next match, the singles match, Finn Balor versus Baron Corbin. Everyone thought, okay, piss break match. You know, I don't even know why these guys are fighting. A lot of people didn't know. Okay, the constable Baron Corbin against Finn Balor. And then the lights go out, and here comes the Demon King. And Finn Balor just absolutely losing it on Baron Corbin. A minute and 35 seconds, and the winner is Finn Balor. The Demon King squashing Baron Corbin. Very similar to Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens. But here it made sense. You're returning a new character in Finn Balor's Demon King uh, against Baron Corbin, who's playing this authority role right now anyway. So, um... You know, he's kind of lost that badassness about him, which a lot of people might not enjoy. Like, you might not want that badassness to go away. But at the moment, it is. So if you're going to do a squash match, it might as well be when he's not this up-and-coming badass guy. It might be when he's the, you know, constable who's abusing his power at the top of the rankings, which is what they've been plugging for the last month anyway. So it makes sense in that regard. Uh, the next matchup was the singles match for the WWE United States Championship. Shinsuke Nakamura retaining his championship against Jeff Hardy. This match suffered from uh, crowd fatigue. And you could tell right away that these two were put in an unenviable position where they had to go out there for like 10 minutes and perform in front of a very tired crowd who just wanted to get to the last two big championship matches. So it felt like filler. But uh, Nakamura and Jeff Hardy really did not have a bad match. But the problem was that, uh, you know, the crowd wasn't into it just because they were exhausted. The four-hour pay-per-views are really putting a toll on the on the guys. Especially, you know, it's even a five-hour show if you're, or six hours if you're talking about the pre-show. So by the time I'm watching it, I'm, I'm even getting a little antsy. I'm like, okay, you know, let's get on to the last two matches already, you know. Um, but Nakamura beating Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy was about to get attacked by Randy Orton. Then Randy just... Turned around and walked back into the into the dressing room. So, interesting to see where they go with that. But Nakamura winning is the obvious move. Uh, Jeff Hardy had a brutal spot where he took a swanton bomb onto the ring apron. Nakamura missed. I think Jeff Hardy is, is on a mission to kill himself in a WWE ring. And he will not rest until he does so. Um, let's get into the two main events. We have a lot to talk about there. Uh, that's where I'm going to spend a majority of my time. Ronda Rousey against Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey beats Alexa Bliss by submission in four minutes, okay? Here's my, here's my thoughts on this, okay? Um, I knew from the start of our podcast and from the start of the rumors that Ronda would come to WWE that she would be fantastic. I thought she would adapt like a fish in water to this sport, and she has. She has looked tremendous. She looked great in this match. She played a great character. I thought, okay, this is a great uh you know, she's going to be a catalyst for this women's division. She's going to take this women's division that has made so many strides, and she's going to take it to that culture level, that pop, that mainstream pop culture level. And pretty much she has, because I got a text message 
after her match, uh, ESPN put out an alert. And one of my friends texted me and said, oh, my, my wife just saw that Ronda Rousey became the women's champion. And I said, yeah, that, you know, that, that doesn't happen unless you have a name like Ronda or you have, you know, you have a, a star appeal like that. So Ronda winning is an obvious choice. Alexa Bliss getting squashed, essentially, by Ronda, I don't have an issue with that either. Because if we're going to play this up that Ronda Rousey is one of the baddest women on the planet, she should be annihilating her opponents like she did. I mean, she beat legitimate UFC fighters in 14 seconds, 16 seconds, a minute, a minute sometimes. A lot of her matches barely made it out of the first round. So if you're going to do that against legitimate UFC fighters... And we're in this reality era, as Triple H has called it sometimes. You have to squash your opponent if you're a Ronda Rousey. Here's the problem. Ronda is now the women's champion. She's undefeated. And she's a badass. So who's going to beat her? Who's going to beat her? I mean, if you really go down the list of people that that are on the women's roster, who's going to beat her? And that's the issue they ran into with Asuka. It was Asuka went on this amazing stretch... Where, you know, she was just beating down everybody that she, she was choking people out. She was making people tap. She was, you know, destroying everyone that came in her path. And then she loses to Charlotte at WrestleMania, which was shocking. And she's been kind of floating around ever since. So, like, you know, Asuka would be a great challenge for Ronda Rousey. It would be a great match. But is Asuka built up enough to beat Ronda Rousey? Who's built up enough? Uh, I see them going with Ronda against Charlotte at WrestleMania. We've been saying that for a few months now. That's a match that could main event WrestleMania, could steal the show. I think it's a very good match featuring two insanely athletic women who would really represent the uh, women's evolution very well. That being said, they're booking themselves into a corner here because Ronda is just going to keep winning and she's going to keep getting bigger and she's going to keep getting more unstoppable. And then by the time she loses, it's going to feel anticlimactic because WWE has shown time and time again they don't know how to finish a story. So because of that, I really fear for what's going to happen to Ronda Rousey uh, by the end of her first title reign. Regardless, though, Ronda Rousey beating Alexa Bliss. It was a cool moment. She celebrated in the rings with Natalia and the Bella Twins. Here I am thinking, okay, they're going to turn on her. They didn't. She jumps out. She goes to her husband, former UFC fighter Travis Brown. They celebrate. Uh, it was a cool moment for Ronda. But again, I can't stress it enough. Where do you go from here? Uh, maybe you bring up Shayna. Maybe Shayna fights her. I mean, that would be believable. Uh, you have Jason Main, uh, Jason Main Duke and, and Marina Sharif in, in developmental. So they're not even close to coming up to beat Ronda. So... I mean, there's really nobody on the roster that can beat her. I mean, you saw how easily she dismantled Nia Jax at Money in the Bank. I mean, it's, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even close. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just don't know where you go from here. And then the main event of the night, Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship. Before the match begins, Braun Strowman's music hits, and we're thinking, okay, triple threat match, Braun beat Kevin Owens so decisively before, and now here he comes and he's going to cash in and make it a triple threat match. Braun grabs the mic and he says, good luck to Roman, good luck to Brock, because whoever wins, I'm going to stand right here and cash in on you as soon as the bell rings. As soon as the match is over, I'm cashing in. And I'm thinking, okay, that's an interesting way of going about it. 
Uh, we don't know the status of Brock Lesnar. We don't know if he resigned with WWE. We don't know if uh, you know he he decided to leave and go to UFC for a little bit and come back later. We don't know if Roman is really going to beat Brock at this point. We don't know. I mean, we've had so many cock teases between Brock and Roman. It's like, all right, you know, let's let's get to it like a hard hitting matchup or a quick match, and let's see what happens. And they decided to go with the quick match where Roman uh, hit about four Superman punches and three spears almost immediately. And uh, then Brock Lesnar locks him in a guillotine for a little while. They brawl for a little bit. Um, Brock was on the outside. He's getting ready to get hit by a spear to the outside by Roman Reigns. Brock moves. Roman hits Braun Strowman thinking like, oh man, I just screwed up. So now both of those guys are knocked out on the outside. And Brock Lesnar goes out, um, hits an F5 on Braun Strowman on the outside of the ring, nails him with his briefcase a few times, tosses his briefcase from the ringside area to the Titantron. And I'm thinking like, okay, the briefcase doesn't weigh that much, but you try throwing a briefcase or any object with that much force from that pretty far distance and the power of Brock Lesnar is just insane and then Lesnar gets back in the ring Reigns hits a spear wins the championship now Braun Strowman is out on the sideline because he's got no briefcase because it's on top of the ramp Braun Strowman is laid out on the side of the ring from the F5 and the briefcase shots and Roman Reigns just celebrates in the ring with the with the newly won Universal Championship crowd hates it wanting Braun to cash in End credits roll, and that's the pay-per-view. So now if I can go back retroactively, Braun Strowman against Kevin Owens really makes no sense. Uh, if you know you kind of buried Kevin for no reason tonight, um, and I hate to use that term because you know I don't really think people use it in the right context, but you kind of buried Kevin for no reason. Now, I have a feeling that Braun will cash in his money in the bank tomorrow night on Raw, so it might not be completely lost in translation. But why don't you just save that part for tomorrow night where Braun beats Kevin Owens decisively and then later on cashes in on Roman. Um, but now the title is back on Raw. I think you're undoubtedly going to see Braun Strowman cash in his Money in the Bank contract tomorrow night on Raw against Roman. Brock, I don't know what's happening with Brock Lesnar. I don't happen. To, I don't know what's happening with Paul Heyman. Um, you know, Paul Heyman's contract is probably up too. So... It'll be interesting to see. There's no update yet as to what's going on with Brock and WWE. I would be pretty shocked if they didn't work out some sort of part-time deal where Brock can do both UFC and uh, WWE. We said it this past week on the episode where uh, Anthony and I were saying Brock looks a lot thinner. He looks a lot leaner. He looks like he's getting ready for a, for a go in the octagon. So it'll be interesting to see how they go about this. But either way, Roman Reigns defeating Brock Lesnar... For the Universal Championship. The crowd hates it. A lot of lip people hate it. Personally, I don't. I'm interested to see where they go with it. I'm not going to freak out about it just because, uh, you know, Roman might not be my favorite. But this is typical WWE. They do this quite often. And uh, nothing about this is shocking to me. So uh, if it is to you, I don't know. I don't know what you've been watching for the last few years. But you knew that Roman was going to get his win eventually against Brock Lesnar. And hopefully, we never need to see this match again. And if Brock does come back, maybe he'll be able to face off against somebody different, somebody more entertaining. Obviously, Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles had a very good match. I gave it four stars at Survivor Series a few months back. So a new opponent might just you know, 
open up the open up the freshness of Brock Lesnar and uh, make it more exciting again. So uh, those are my thoughts on SummerSlam. What were your thoughts? I would love to hear what you guys think. Uh, do you give it a thumbs up? Do you give it a thumbs down? What was your match of the night? What was your worst match of the night? What'd you hate? What'd you love? Um, I'd love to hear back from you guys before next week's episode. I'll read some of the responses off on next week's episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you uh, this week with our next episode, episode number 73 of the Underground Fightcast. Thank you guys for listening. Catch you next week.